Welcome to an episode of Things Survivors Wish You Knew, a December podcast and a show about advocating for the dignity of all people. In this series, we'll be talking with 10 survivors of human trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation to find out what survivors wish we knew. We're your hosts, Blythe Hill and Stephanie Schindler. In this episode, we are so excited to be sharing our conversation with Amy Ray. Amy is a leading voice on the need for survivors of human trafficking to be included in more meaningful ways within the anti-trafficking movement through avenues such as employment and leadership. Amy currently works for Freedom Fund and is part of the Finance Against Slavery and Trafficking, or FAST, initiatives steering group. She is bold and kind about what she wants for survivors. She has so much wisdom to share about sustained liberation and what that means employment, education, and aftercare of survivors. Are you looking for an accessible and impactful way to fight human trafficking? Monthly giving is a simple, consistent way that you can use your resources to end human trafficking and exploitation around the world. As a member of the Dressember Collective, you'll receive bonus content, discount codes, and exclusive gifts. We believe small, consistent actions have the power to change the world. Join the Dressember Collective today at dressember.org slash collective. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today for this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I feel very honored to be here with you both. I was thinking back to how long we've worked with you. Um, we, I know we started working with you as a consultant a few years back, and we've had lots of crossover at different conferences and stuff. You got to meet Amy semi-recently, right? Yes. We spent some time together in Miami uh, this past March and sat on a panel for the Freedom Network conference. Yeah, that was really special. It was really nice to actually be in person, be in community, and hear from so many incredible individuals while we got to sit and um, be in conversation, which was also really just really special. It's also like extra special to be in person after two years of kind of not. So I was a little jealous. I was very jealous that (laughs) Steph got to do that. Um, Well, today we want to chat with you about a topic close to your heart, close to our hearts as well as one of Dressember's kind of programmatic pillars, which is sustained liberation that's a term that not everybody is familiar with. So how how would you define sustained liberation? Yeah, I'll take it to basics. I'll just break down each word a bit and then say how I think it relates or why it matters that we use it in the anti-trafficking sector. The definition is essentially consistency over time without interruption, right? So just something that happens long term. And liberation is a term that we use uh, to define the act of being freed from oppression or a release. And so to sum it up, it's it's consistent freedom from oppression, uh, which is really powerful when you think about it that way. Uh, And often I think the term is being thrown around a bit more similar to how we throw around a term like freedom or people being free, or people even being liberated. And we don't think about the depth of the meaning at its core. But why I like to use sustained liberation, or why I think it's important that we use it, is because we tend to use these terms like freedom or freeing people. Um, And we talk about it as a moment in time. So we're talking about freedom after somebody exits a situation of exploitation, but we don't think about what happens next Mm. and how long does that freedom last and what it is that we know to be true about exploitation, which is that it's cyclical. Mm. It rarely happens in a vacuum. It's rarely happening just once unless you have incredible resources afterwards. Um, And so when we talk about freedom, I always, I always get a bit uncomfortable because my mind always thinks freedom in this moment, but is it sustained freedom? What are we doing about sustaining someone's freedom? What are we doing about sustaining that liberation? And oftentimes the answer is not a lot. Mm. That's a really powerful visual of exploitation as a, 
as a circle or as a cycle. And I think like, I think of a bicycle actually, like the wheel of a bicycle and like pressing the brakes and then almost starting a new circle like this, okay, sustained liberation as its own circle that we want to keep people on. I really appreciate you drawing light on freedom as a moment in time. I think when people consider the anti-trafficking movement, there's a lot of focus on intervention or rescue, which is a term we're not super big fans of. Um, And there's this misunderstanding that once you are no longer in a trafficking situation, you are all of a sudden a free person. And sure, there might be some physical freedom, but there is so much work that needs to be done and so much support that needs to be offered from our systems and our organizations to sustain that freedom and to sustain that liberation. So I'd love to hear what you think is really critical for for survivors to be empowered in sustaining their recovery, to be the ones with as much support as possible? Yeah, thanks for that. It's a great, it's a great question. And um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it back. I'm gonna take us back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, It's such a simple tool, and it's not a perfect tool. I will also flag that because I know some people aren't thrilled about it. But I think it's really important to look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs as we're talking about what kind of support survivors might need, people who've gone through exploitation might need. Because if you look at, so Maslow's hierarchy of needs for people who don't know, it's it's a triangle. And it it has these different rings of, um, of what needs are from bottom to top. And so if you start at the bottom, it's basic needs. So you have physiological needs. And what that means is food, shelter, water, uh, clothing, basic needs to start to feel safe, um, which the next rung is safety needs. What's interesting to me and why I want to highlight this is safety needs actually includes employment and resources and health. But in the anti-trafficking sector, what we do typically is we jump up to the third, fourth, and fifth rings of this triangle. And we say, oh, we don't, we don't know anything about the safety need. Sure, maybe we'll give you shelter for six months. That might be a safety need. But even that, that's on the bottom rung of physiological needs. Um, we jump up and say, we're going to sort out your love and belonging, friendship, intimacy, family. We're going to sort out your self-esteem and just esteem, um, your, which includes strength, freedom, self-esteem, respect. And we're going to help you feel self-actualized because you're free. You're free. So you should feel like you can be anything that you want to be. But the thing is, you look at that. I look at that. And I think, how in the world can anybody feel those things, feel self-esteem, have deep connections, feel a sense of belonging, um, if they don't have financial security, if they don't know that they have financial stability, that they have income coming in, mm-hmm. how there it's so hard when you were stressed every day about how am I going to pay that bill? How am I going to pay my rent? How many jobs do I have to work? Is that enough? Man, it was so much easier when somebody else just thought about all of this stuff for me because like, I don't even, I don't know where to start. And this, these direct services aren't helping me out. Like whatever that is, there's this stress that comes for any of us, whether or not we've been exploited there's a stress that comes when we don't know how we're going to pay for things. And we tend to say, okay, step one, we're going to pull you out of this, this 
situation of exploitation, be that labor trafficking, be that sex trafficking, be that whatever it might be. Step two, maybe, depending on your age, depending on location, depending on your gender, step two might be, we're going to support you in having shelter. Step three tends to be, we're going to give you, we're going to support your mental health. We're going to put you, give you a psychologist from the state, you know, somebody, somebody who's, who's free or very cheap. We're going to support you there. Step four is go figure it out. (laughs) You've gone through enough of this, go figure out life. But at no point is there this consideration that actually from the beginning, yes, people need to start that healing process and need mental health support and all of that. But that economic stability is so critical in the society that we live in. We live in a world where you have to have money to get by. Um, and, And to not address that straight away is doing a deep, deep injustice to those individuals we continue to seek to serve and say that we seek to serve. I think that's such an important call out, Amy. And it makes me think of, well, like if we're, if we're missing it on the, you know, recovery side of the cycle, we are also missing the fact that it's a huge part of prevention and a huge, like, I guess, risk factor or um, kind of missing a bigger picture of the intersectionality of trafficking, like what makes people vulnerable to exploitation in the first place. And so often it is economic instability and vulnerability. And and we're not even talking about, um, y- you know, I think, I think in this conversation, we can be talking about an individual survivor, but then you can also add like, well, if that survivor has children or has other dependents and just the compounding factors that would make it especially critical to find some sort of reliable um, economic, you know, revenue stream that, that that would interrupt that cycle of recovery. So I appreciate you kind of digging into that. And it's like, it's something that in this space, seems so obvious when we talk about it, but we haven't been talking about it enough or we haven't been talking about it until pretty recently. And um, yeah, the the longer I'm in this space, it just seems like increasingly apparent that we take for granted as like, quote unquote, you know, normal people or lay people or, you know, as people who are not lived experience experts, people who are not survivors, we overlook the, the role that a job plays in our own lives and how central, especially in America, like how central work is in our lives and our identities and our dreams. And so to leave that out of the equation for survivors is kind of, it's dehumanizing in the society that we are operating in, where we've made it a central part of our identities. Like, oh, it's a central part of our identities, but we're not going to address that when we're talking about your recovery. It's pretty wild. Absolutely. I just, I just want to uplift that because I think this, it's, it's one of the questions that I often ask people when talking about this, which is what is it that you need to feel free in life? What makes you feel free? And everybody of course has different definitions of freedom and what that means in their life. And, you know, there, there's so, there's a vast continuum. However, every single person living under the society and structure that we live in the one thing that will always be the same is financial security. And like you're saying, it is dehumanizing. It's insane that we think actually what I need survivors don't need. What I Mm. need, these individuals, they're, they're different. They're like kids. I just need to support them. And generally that's coming from a place of deep, deep care and like feeling like, oh, this issue is so bad and I want to do anything to support people. And so I don't want to say it's wrong. It's just that we need to take two or three steps uh, further in order to start thinking, wait, these are humans. These are humans who had all of these intersecting vulnerabilities that allowed modern slavery that allowed human trafficking to exist, to persist in their life? How do I support them find their 
to find their dignity again? How do I support that process of sustained liberation so Mm -hmm. that they can recognize the humanity in themselves and the world around them again? Sure. And we know that healing is not linear. And if folks had all of these vulnerabilities Mm. prior to being trafficked or exploited, there should not be an assumption that they don't have those vulnerabilities anymore. (laughs) Once they are no longer in that um, specific exploitive situation. And so I really hear you in that um, economic empowerment and vocational training and learning how to open a bank account and how to prepare for a job interview. All these things are so critical from the onset of the recovery process because those vulnerabilities are still luring very close. And without financial security, it's so easy to be re-victimized and to, you know, go backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards as you're trying to navigate how you're paying for your rent, how you're buying diapers. Uh, what does dignified work even look like if that is not something that you have been able to have before? So having guidance along the way and choice along the way um, is really critical. And I really appreciated the study that Freedom Fund did a couple of years ago that highlighted choice as super crucial when it comes to what sustained liberation looks like. And I'd love to hear a bit more about that study and what um, was found there. Yeah, I love that study because I think it underpins something that most people with lived experience would say, yep, (laughs) I identify with this. Um, I also just want to give a shout out to the fact that we uh, we just published a new study that's a follow up to that, mm. which is about um, which is focused on survivors in Ethiopia, and it interviewed seventy five women and girls, uh, also asking what is it that you need to sustain your liberation? What are the challenges? What are you know what's the good? What's the bad? And so this study that we did in 2020 uh, was 88 interviews with survivors in India in two different regions. Um, and both in India and in Ethiopia, the response of what is it that you need? What is it that you need um, for sustained liberation is reliable, decent employment. And it's so, I'm pausing because I think it's so important to hear that and to take that in. Because again, we focus so much on these other direct services, so much on other direct services. And I'm not saying those aren't important. They're critical as well. But this financial stability, decent employment, we just brush past. It's an afterthought. It's an afterthought constantly. Um, number two in the, the most recent study was financial support. How do I get more financial support? That's the, the second thing people are asking for. And that's so related um, to decent employment. Kids in the study uh, from 2020 in India were saying, I need the, I need the choice, I need choice, choice to be able to go to school, choice to be able to play. Uh, And similarly, the girls being studied in uh, Ethiopia were saying, we need material support, which includes basic things like sanitary products, various things their family can't necessarily provide because their family is likely in poverty. And also it includes the choice to go to school. Oftentimes, Children aren't going to school because it's too expensive. It's too expensive, not just for supplies, but also fees to go to school. The family doesn't have economic opportunities, so they pull kids out of school um, in order to pay for some of the bills, pay for rent, do whatever it is that needs to be done. Um, Most of the adults being interviewed 
don't have much of an education or maybe pulled out in second grade, maybe never went, maybe got pulled out in high school. And so thinking about the idea that this basic desire to have a choice to do something that so many of us take for granted. I certainly took my education for granted. I took it for granted that there, there wasn't a question of whether or not I would go to elementary school, to middle school, to high school. There was no question. Question around college, certainly. And to think about like this basic choice being, um, being such an uncertainty and then to then have so many of these individuals go through exploitation, go through labor trafficking, uh, sex trafficking, whichever form of exploitation they've gone through, and then to get support services and to again, not have a choice. You don't have a choice about what it is that you can do for employment. We're going to provide this one training program. And you know what? The training program is actually in a sector that's deeply exploitative. So you're not going to be paid really a living wage. You might be paid minimum wage. You're probably going to have to work two or three jobs. You may not have access to health care. But, you know, it's an opportunity. It's an option. But against what? Right? And so this is one of the, the biggest things that... I think it is so important to think about when we talk about choice, when we talk about people choosing employment or choosing various things in our life, what is the choice against? Mm. And if it's against being unemployed, being in poverty, starving, your child starving, it's not a choice. Let's be honest. It is not a choice. And so when we offer one thing and say, this is a choice, you can make the choice to participate in this training or not, we're not actually providing a choice because we're not giving anything that the choice is against. And I don't think, I'll just say, the last thing I'll say about this is I don't necessarily think it's the sector's fault fully that we haven't done this, but I do think because of the way that funding has worked for so long, We've all had in our minds the three P's. The three P model includes prosecution, protection, and prevention, and continues to serve as the fundamental framework used around the world to combat human trafficking. The United States also follows this approach, as reflected in the TVPA, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act of 2000, And you can find it even today on the U.S. Department of State's website. Mm -hmm. And we don't necessarily think about employment fitting within any of those three P's. And I will jokingly say this, but I'm half serious, which is if we added a fifth P because there was a loose fourth P around partnership, if we added a fifth P around payment, (laughs) you know, what would that do in terms of people being able to dream and think boldly? about how to support sustained liberation, sustained financial um, support opportunity. What would that look like? How How much room would we give people who've gone through exploitation to be, how much room would we be giving them to think about their lives? Um, with hope, with more hope, how much more hope are we infusing into people? So I just think it's important to, to call out a part of why we've not been super thoughtful about employment opportunities, but I think now is the time that we have to get very serious about it, especially if we want to work ourselves out of jobs, which is what we should be aiming to do. What we're all saying that we want to do, right? Yeah, I I really, that's really a powerful way to look at freedom is freedom as the ability to make choices, freedom as options, and that the reality of that type of freedom is financially driven, financially based, this financial stability underneath it. I've thought a long time about the idea of freedom 
you know, there's, when we talk about freedom, there's freedom from things, you know, from oppression, from exploitation, um, et cetera. And then there's freedom to, freedom to make choices, have options, do things. And yeah, to your point about how this space has been approaching freedom, I think it's primarily the like freedom from this bad thing, from this injustice. And we're missing this whole other level of freedom, which is the freedom to actually be empowered to make your own your own choices and to live a vibrant, autonomous life, which is the goal of all humans. So I really, I also just really appreciate that you're just like, you know, bringing us back over and over to the centrality of money in this equation and of um, fair compensation and of um, dignified wages and, and economic opportunity. And you have said that sharing power is sharing money. How can the anti-trafficking movement in particular be more survivor-led when it comes to that concept and in particular, how do we avoid tokenization with survivor inclusion? There's a lot to that question. So if you want to tackle it part by part. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's important. Um, so I'll just break down the first part a little bit. I, I think it's important to root ourselves in what power means, again, in the society that we live in. We live within capitalism. And within capitalism, you need money. <laughs> within capitalism, the more money that you have, the more power you have. Economic power, uh, more and more political power, uh, but power in a variety of ways. But I also want to say there's other ways of thinking about power, but I'm uh, going to leave it there for now, because I think it is, it's important to, to center ourselves in what it is that we live in. And oftentimes when we talk about power sharing in the sector, we're not thinking about the society we live in. And so what we think of as power sharing is to say, sure, survivor, I'm going to power share with you by saying, come, come on the stage with me, or I'm going to ask you, I'm going to extract something from you. Um, and highlight your thinking as my own, but I'm sharing power if I put you as a reference, if I mm. share that you had something to do, right? It's a, this idea of survivor inclusion has typically been really, really limited in saying, I'm going to include you by um, using your voice, using your opinions, and maybe you get paid. Maybe. That's a hard maybe. Mm. <laughs> and more and more, it's becoming normal, at least within the U.S., but there's still a lot of work globally to be done around that. But the reality is, in the world that we live in, that's not sharing power. That is not sharing power. That is taking agency. That is removing agency from someone and adding to your own power. And so if we actually want to talk about the society we live in, the system that we live in, and we really truly want to share power, then we must share money and resources because that is how we have power in this life, in this system. And what that means often is saying, I'm absolutely going to make sure I'm paying a survivor for what it is that I'm extracting, if I'm extracting, or what it is that I'm asking. And that's, that's where we've gotten to, right? And it's an important start is, okay, you can be a survivor consultant. It's a start. <laughs> it's something, and I'm going to pay you. And it's better than where we were. And it's better than what a lot of people continue to do, which is just fully extract, never pay, never acknowledge. Um, but the step further that people really need to take is to say, all right, how do I employ you? How do I actually support this idea of sustained liberation, of financial security? How do mm. I make sure that actually solutions to this problem are coming from people who understand it the best? And what we've tended to do in the sector is say the people who understand it the best are academics or lawyers. 
And I'm not saying that they don't understand it well. I have wonderful friends in the sector who are academics and lawyers, so I'm sorry. But <laughs> it is it it takes that, but it also takes centering those who have gone through that experience of exploitation because there's things that you can't study. There are things that you will not learn through the law. There are things that you will not read about in a book that are so central to our experiences, ours as people who have gone through trafficking. They're so central to our experiences and it's so simple. And it's so simple to just say, sure, we're going to start hiring survivors. This is like a saying I'm starting to share power through money and resources and be saying I'm starting to center your expertise, your knowledge in the work that I do. And that is so hard because people are okay with that up into a point. What's what starts to be hard and challenging about it is that it starts to put into question people's own place in this work. There's a lot of pushback against it because people say, but what, what does that mean for me? Where am I going to go? I've been working on this for five years. I've been working on this for 20 years. I have the expertise. I have the expertise. I have the expertise. But truly, if we go back to what we were saying before, if we want to work ourselves out of a job, if we want to support people who have gone through this horrific thing, through horrific exploitation, then then we have to do the thing that feels the most challenging and confronting for us, which is share power, share our money, share our resources. And so it can be, it's, it sounds hard, but it's not that, it's not that hard. People make it seem harder than it is in order to continue to keep their place. And that's a challenging point to make, I think. And um, I've had some difficult conversations around that with a lot of people that I love dearly. Um, but I think it's really important to underscore. And so just to, I know I kind of went broad stroke with that, uh, but I think I answered the the first two parts, but just in terms of tokenization, um, specifically talking about token, well, I guess I did kind of talk about tokenization within that without calling it out, but just to say, uh, avoiding tokenization within Um, the sector around survivor inclusion means not checking a box, not saying, okay, well, we have to include survivors. We have to have survivor voice, which is usually what people um, want. And so I'm just, how I achieve that is finding a way to hire a survivor consultant after I've created a program, Mm -hmm. after I've done a research project, just so you can review it, just so I can have that check mark. That's tokenization. That's not real power shifting. Um, so we need to do less of that and more of. Yeah, I mean, so good. And so I'm challenged like in in a great way, like just for the record, I feel like you have a way it, I feel called in to a deeper understanding of. Of what that would look like. Um, but it's un- it makes me feel uncomfortable because like, yeah, we're we're trying, but we are not there yet. And um, at December uh, specifically is what I'm talking about. But um, no, it's it's important. And I think you're I think you're right. I know you're right. So I thank you for for going to the, the hard places there and just speaking it like it is like you see it. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I. I know it's a challenging conversation and I know like it's, it's confronting. I mean, we've, I know at some point I said in the global anti-trafficking organization, at some point I also need to step aside. I am a white woman from North America with lived experience of modern slavery, Mm -hmm. but I shouldn't at some point I shouldn't be centered either. And what I've gone through, it is important. But I also, um, I have privilege and I had access that most survivors don't have. Mm. And so as I have these challenging conversations with allies and with others, I'm also holding, trying, trying to hold up a mirror to myself 
Yeah. And say it also applies to me. Um, and that's hard. I think it's really hard. Many of us want to make shopping decisions that reflect our values, but we only have so much time and energy. Sometimes finding and choosing ethical clothing can feel overwhelming or unaffordable, which is why we've created a directory of ethical fashion options that reflect Dressember values. When you shop Dressember's ethical fashion directory, you'll have access to exclusive discount codes from our favorite brands, and you can feel confident that you're supporting vetted companies and also supporting the work here at Dressember. Shop the ethical fashion directory at dressemberorg slash directory today. I think it's important to note that we thankfully have seen some models that work, <laughs> you know, like in these things that are so challenging. Um, it is really incredible that there are a lot of folks that are doing the work to make a lot of space abundantly for survivors. A lot of what I heard you saying was a lack of abundance that folks think like, if a survivor is here, I can't be. And that this isn't a, a super, super huge issue that needs as many people as possible fighting for this cause. Um, so survivors need more paid opportunities. They, they need access to power sharing and they need access to leadership in that their lived experiences are valued and validated as crucial to pushing this movement forward. Um, I'd love to talk about some of those models that we've seen that have worked. There's certainly one over at Freedom Fund that I'm a fan of. <laughs> that I'd love your insight on because of how close you've been to that project. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I think, I think what we're alluding to is the fellowship program. Uh, yes. Maybe? Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, we have this incredible fellowship program that we started in partnership with Survivor Alliance. Um, and I, I want to just talk a little bit about how it started, because I think even this is powerful uh, to the sector. Um, I had been giving a talk about survivor inclusion, what survivor inclusion really means, similar to, to how we've been talking about it today. And that was about three years ago, a little bit over three years ago. And sitting in that audience was Nick Grono, our, uh, the Freedom Fund CEO. And it was pre-me working with the Freedom Fund. I was consulting with Survivor Alliance. And um, Nick pulled me aside afterwards uh, because I had said, here's some, here's some options. Um, here's some options to start deepening your journey with survivor inclusion. What about a fellowship? What about saying, if you're, if you don't know that you're ready to hire survivors or how that looks, what about a fellowship that is six months to a year, maybe more you hire somebody and pay them a living wage. They get access to a great organization, to learning from the sector. Um, they get access to employment skills. Um, they get access to various, yeah, various skills and relationships. And then after that's up, you either, maybe you can hire them if there's, there's space within the organization or you support them and find a job that they really want. And it closes the gap on a lot of barriers. And some of those barriers are gaps in employment, gaps in education, um, gaps in employment of the, the right kind, quote unquote, uh, because a lot of people are, are finding it difficult to find office jobs or whatever that may be. And then it gives you an opportunity to work in other sectors. You don't just have to stay in the sector. So he had pulled me aside and said that, that fellowship thing, <laughs> I want to do that at the Freedom Funds. Can we can we work together? Can we hire you as a consultant and create this fellowship? And it was, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. And um, a little bit over a year later, we were implementing it at the Freedom Fund. And it's so important. So the the idea of the fellowship is 
at least a year long employment, hiring somebody with a real, a living wage, giving them health insurance, which in the UK, where most of our staff are, that just naturally comes and you don't have to pay for it. But in the US, it's a really important thing to highlight because health insurance is so expensive um, and people yeah. need that access. And to get a good therapist and all the rest of it, you need access to good health insurance. So giving people access to health insurance, giving them access to all of the regular paid time off and all of those things, and then just access to you know, developing their portfolio, developing their resume. Um, with the hope being now you will have, like, after this, we can support you into a career that you're really excited about. This may not be the career you're really excited about, you know, and maybe it is. There's going to be some people who come to the fellowship and they're like, yep, I want to be in this sector. Yep. I want to be with this organization or an organization like it, like this is it. And some people are going to be like, you know what? I learned a lot about communications, for example, but I don't want to work in this sector. It's too close to home. How do I get a job in another place doing communications and supporting them into that? So that's been, I think that's, to me, it's one of the most exciting things because it is just this way of saying, see, we can do more. <laughs> here's, the, here's, here's the next tier of step um, in terms of like, okay, you have survivor consultants. What about hiring them as fellowship? as fellows. And then what about just hiring them? And what about supporting that? Um, We also have, I just want to give a call out to two other programs really, really briefly. Uh, We have a pooled fund called the Survivor Leadership Fund, um, which is giving small trust-based grants to organizations that are survivor-led in particular regions. So we're doing it, we just launched it at the end of last year. And we're doing it um, region by region, three times a year. And it's now it's $20,000 to about 15 different organizations. And it's in an effort. We're doing this in an effort to say, we want to support more survivor-led organizations. We don't know where they are, where they exist. Uh, necessarily. And we want to make sure that we're finding them and we want to make sure that they have access to funding like that, because oftentimes those are the organizations struggling the most, not just for funding, but for funding that allows them to do whatever they want with it. Um, And then the last thing I'll just put a plug for is our Freedom Rising program, which is supporting survivors who are working in anti-trafficking organizations in their leadership journey. And it's a transformational leadership program where it brings in both the survivors, but also uh, the senior leaders to be able to talk about and confront biases and discrimination and systemic issues of why someone may not be progressing or why why survivors aren't naturally seen as people who should be leaders. Um, And it's a really, really exciting program that we're continuing uh, to expand and put into different regions, but it also allows for more survivor leadership within the sector. Those all are amazing. It's just incredible. Sorry, it was a lot. (laughs) No, I wanted you to keep going. (laughs) (laughs) You know, no one's mad at good news. (laughs) They're really exciting. They're really, really exciting. Yeah. I really, um, I heard a lot of choice there in that survivors have different organizations and different sectors that they can explore. And then they can decide if it's for them or if it's not for them. And I just think having that choice in primary employment is so like looked over. Like you, you spoke to this earlier in our conversation about how uh, so many direct services programs offer one type of training. They offer a pathway into one mm. industry um, with potentially like limited resources within that industry. So it's really incredible that y'all are doing that. Um, we're trying to take our own strides as well to be as committed as possible to closing the gap to access to education, which I know is something that survivors talk about a lot, how difficult it is to um 
just take that leap, have the financial resources, know how to navigate the process of applying to schools. Uh, it can be really overwhelming. So um, last year in 2021, we launched our Survivor uh, Scholarship Program, which offers flexible academic scholarships with choice in mind. So if you want to go to school to become an engineer or get your cosmetology license or go into real estate, like whatever it is that would make um, that person, that individual feel empowered, that is not necessarily, I want to go share my story at conferences and get paid a consulting fee. Like that is a, how a lot of people feel empowered in this movement to find dignified work. But I think also having that choice for however you want to pursue education to secure that financial um, freedom and just keep going on this long-term recovery journey. It's just really important. So that's something that is really special to us for our internal programming. Um, and I'm just like really jazzed and inspired <laughs> hearing about all the ways that we're trying to, to move things forward and to see things differently and uh, think more expansively. I love that. I wanted to snap while you're saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I want to chime in too, because it is a program we're really excited about as a bridge, you know, education as a bridge to economic stability. But we also recognize it's only the first step because there are so many other factors to educational success than just the tuition, right? There's transportation and childcare and equipment and steady income while you're in school. So it is the first step, but the goal is to really expand it to a more holistic program where we're supporting people through their journey. Yeah. I love that though. I mean, that it's a, I just want to say that it's a huge first step because it is so uncommon in this sector that we are supporting um, further education. It may not be uncommon to support somebody to go back to get their GED or supporting kids to get back into school. That feels um, a bit easier, I think, for folks. But this idea of supporting people with further education, with higher education, it's huge. It's huge. It's critical. It's important. So I just want to uplift that and say that. So good. So Amy, I would love to know what you wish people knew about human trafficking. So what I love is that actually Blythe called out a part of what I wish people knew, which is um, how human trafficking intersects with any issue of oppression. And so we're all driving human trafficking or modern slavery any time that we are biased against someone else or discriminating against someone else or participating in systems of oppression. And sometimes those systems are uh, clearer interpersonally. So if we're thinking about racism, sexism, uh, homophobia, um, discriminating because of somebody's religion, migration status, language barriers, any of those things. Those are interpersonal systems of oppression that contribute to somebody's vulnerability to tra trafficking. But then there's other, there are other systems of oppression um, that we contribute to through not being informed about what we're purchasing. And I want to call that out as well because it's also something that we can all do, which is really think about the clothes we wear, the technology we use, the food we're buying, and what the labor is, what the labor is behind it, who's involved in that supply chain, where is it originating from, what are all the steps? And if we continue to purchase things that are cheapest, which oftentimes we are because we're struggling to buy something more expensive. Inflation is insane. All of the things uh, that make it hard to purchase more expensive things. But if we're doing that and we don't need to, um, we should be questioning ourselves. We should be questioning why. Why aren't we informing ourselves? I know it's a lot, but there's 
it's a, it's a simple step as well to start to undo that particular um, issue within modern slavery. So I wish that people understood the intersectionality of all of these systems of oppression and how it is that we all inevitably, sadly, wind up contributing to this issue that we all wish didn't exist. We definitely agree. And I, I couldn't have said it better. Thank you so much for, for that, Amy. Um, one place that people can start becoming more conscious consumers who are listening to the podcast is Dress Ember's ethical fashion directory. So we have done the work for you. We have vetted brands uh, to ensure that they have ethical practices in their supply chains, that they're fair trade certified, uh, that they're supporting artisans, that they're supporting uh, survivors of trafficking and abuse and exploitation. And it's just conveniently on our website at dressember.org slash directory. And if you're looking to buy um, holiday gifts in the upcoming months, that's one place where you can start to make one change in how you're contributing to this cause. Even if you're looking for some Black Friday deals, some of these fair trade brands have some great deals on Black Friday too. So thanks for that call out, Steph. And Amy, thank you so much for a really incredible conversation. We're grateful for your time and for for your work in this space. I'm just grateful to know you. I'm going to be thinking about this conversation for a while. Same. I just need to extend so much gratitude to you both and to Jess and Burr, both for hosting me today and having this conversation, but also in your thoughtfulness and the way that you approach the work. Um, I'm deeply grateful for all the partnership and just the relationship that we have. So thank you. It's mutual. Yes, forever in community with Amy Ray. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Things Survivors Wish You Knew, a Dressember podcast. We are all needed in the fight against human trafficking, and Dressember is here to equip and empower you to advocate for the dignity of all people. We host a style challenge every December where people pledge to wear a dress or tie for 31 days. The Style Challenge provides a fun, impactful way for even the busiest person to engage in this important issue, and it's proven to be a powerful way to raise awareness and vital funding for anti-trafficking work. Since 2013, thousands of advocates have raised roughly $16 million to fight human trafficking from every angle around the world. This year is the 10th anniversary of the Dressember Style Challenge, and we need your advocacy to help make our biggest impact to date. You can join the Dressember community in the fight against human trafficking at dressember.org slash fundraise or learn more at dressember.org slash how it works. And remember, it's bigger than a dress. Dress